1: What's next for the New York City Football Club and Pele in North America? That's next on NYCFC Views. Turn up your volume because you're about to listen to The the Sick Podcast. NYCFC Views. Collins approaches the shot, and New York City! wins the first MLS Cup on their first try! And they're going crazy! It is
0: goal! Goal! New York City is el Campeon, of Major League Soccer! The sickest New York City FC podcast. It's gonna be
1: sick. And for the first time since 2015, New York City will not have an opportunity to win an MLS Cup. I'm Glenn Crooks, Roberto Abramowitz. Hi, Roberto. We are your uh, radio commentators in English and Spanish for the club. And uh, certainly a disappointing ending, not at City Field, where New York City got the 1-0 win over the Chicago Fire. But it was that three-game parlay Roberto, I know you know about parlays, Mr. NFL. You know, you. I'm sure no, you no, have- I,
0: I don't do betting. Uh, that's not my thing.
1: You have never it's done Not an my NFL thing. Parlay. I don't believe you.
0: No, I really. Okay. I, I don't have an app. I don't. I mean, the last time I think. Uh, I mean, like when, I do- like when you were in college.
1: Like when you were in college, didn't you get those sheets and play them? Really?
0: No. Wow. Yes. That's wild. Meanwhile, my cat is destroying a bag over here. Well, that I have a, a little. Something that we got yesterday, you and I. But anyway, that's beside the point. No, but I, I never did it. Never really did anything like that. The only thing I'm doing right now is on uh, in Mexico uh, during uh, the Soccer season. The company that I work for has an agreement with a betting company. And so Eric Gomez and myself, we sort of pick a lineup uh, for so people can use it as a guide. To form their own lineups for that weekend, and uh, hopefully they can win some cash.
1: All right, so you're you're offering uh, betting advice, is what you're saying. You're not doing the betting yourself. We're very though. poor
0: betting advice, most likely. Uh, you know, I'm up. the type of guy who you follow to see. All right, he picked this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, and do everything backwards. You know, do all the right. contrary.
1: So you know, uh, that's you know Jimmy the Greek. Is that what you're telling me? All right, so I'm still alive. Yes. Well, the, the parlay okay. I'm referring to, of course, is New York City needed to beat Chicago. And oh. then uh, Nashville needed to, at home, beat the Red Bulls, which they couldn't do. And mm. then we needed Inter-Miami to just get a result at Charlotte, which they couldn't do. Even though Lionel Messi did score a goal, but it was he was offside. Really? Oh, oh. It was called was back. Like,
0: Wait a second. They lost oh. one nothing. How did they score He's, a
1: goal? Oh. He scored a goal that was called back. Uh, but uh, Okay. So, and Messi, by the
0: way, playing 90 minutes on turf when everybody naysayed, oh, Messi only said that, and he only said it for publicity that he was going to play on turf, and he was lying. They always believe all these guys lie all the time, and it's just so crazy. Anyway, he played 90 minutes on turf, came out fine.
1: I was thinking about that because we're going to, uh, in the kicking it around segment, we're going to talk about Pelé and where we were yesterday down in Times Square, but... uh Pele played on the worst artificial surface in the history of sports at Giant Stadium. With not the content- really.
0: No, I'll disagree with that. I'm not saying that you're wrong that it was poor. It was poor, but all artificial surfaces at that time were poor. Now, I got a chance to travel with the Cosmos back in the day, and I got to visit other stadiums. The The, the stadium in Philadelphia Oh my God, that was worse. The one where in Toronto? They where did
1: they play in Philly? They played at the vet. They played yeah. at the vet.
0: Okay. They played at the vet where I forget the name of the player. There's an NFL player that on one play, it was a wide receiver that on one play tore both his ACLs on one play at the vet.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: Okay. That's how poor that surface was. And the one in Toronto was even worse. The one on Toronto was a, it seemed to be like a thin layer of AstroTurf, which was just like all cheap plastic laid over cement.
1: All right. right. I mean, it it was was. brutal. That's what giant stadium. Giant stadium
0: turf. Just to say, you know, I don't want to say that you were wrong per se. I know the point you're trying to make. Yes, it was bad, but they were all bad at the time.
1: Yeah. All right. I just can't believe what I I always thought. Uh, yeah, and soccer players, man, when they a slide tackle, you know that we would see the uh, the big raspberry in the locker room afterwards. But uh, how football players, American football players, play on that? It was, you know, when you get tackled on that thing, it's literally it's like concrete. You know, you you and I were both on the field at various times uh, over the course of that, and I uh, yeah. I don't know if you played. Did we de- determine whether I, I played in a couple of press games? I don't know if I you, did. you yeah. So we probably. Oh, oh. Uh, we didn't know each other then.
0: No, we so didn't know mean- each other then. But we did. Not only that, I've got I've got a little story for you. So one, there was one game where Toronto was playing New York City. Uh, New York City it was playing the Cosmos, and they had you know twenty eight to thirty thousand at the at Giants Stadium for that. And at halftime, they had a shootout. Okay, <laughs> between the New York City press and the New Jersey press.
1: Okay, I was not. I wasn't. And- I saw that. I don't know what you did. I just remember Ike Coons and the Big E trying to yes, uh, trying to they score They were both goals. there.
0: And <laughs> who was the goalie? Do you remember who the goalie was? No, Shep Messing. Oh come on! You who got to remember of? this. The I, I goalie and the, the shootout.
1: I don't remember. I don't. All I remember the goalie... is the big. All I remember is the Big E, the guy who worked for the AP, just huge guy, and Ike Coons, not quite as huge. But neither one of them nimble as they approached the goal.
0: No, and they both missed. Uh no, the the, the goalie was Bugs Bunny.
1: <laughs> I forgot that.
0: <laughs> the goalie was Bugs Bunny. Anyway, I put New York ahead one nothing, going carrot side on Bugs and beating them. Yes. And then Jack Bell tied it for New Jersey, and we wound up one one. We were the only ones who scored. Out of 10 attempts.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, that sounds like the New York, New Jersey press. <laughs> that,
0: uh, <laughs> uh, it was great. It
1: there weren't too great. many. I, mean, too I many didn't jokes. want
0: the embarrassment of missing, okay, of missing against Bugs Bunny in front tw- of 28,000 strong. And so I was able to beat Bugs. As I said, I saw he had a little bit of a weakness carrot side, and that's yeah. where I went because he was oh. carrying a big carrot.
1: Well, we'll Can talk you imagine
0: everybody else missing? <laughs>
1: <laughs> We're going to. Uh... I mean, it
0: wasn't no mean feat that I made it. I mean, to me, it was damn. I better not miss this, okay? But everybody else, aside from Jack Bell and I, missed. All
1: right, and <laughs> yeah, so we'll we'll get more into the cosmos and, and Pelé um, uh, in a, in a little bit from from what we uh, what we saw yesterday. And it was it was a fun day for us, uh, but back to New York City. I thought um, uh, Hudson River Blue put out a, a pretty good, and I wonder if I have it handy, they put out a pretty good uh, story today, Oliver Strand writing it, um, and I assume compiling uh, the information. New York City was in the top nine. He lists nine teams conceding the fewest goals in MLS this year, Roberto, which you know, I think along the way we understood that the, the, they weren't conceding a lot of goals, but the only one of the nine teams in this top nine that's not in the postseason. And then you go to why? Well, only 35 goals scored, which is the lowest. And I didn't know this. I, I didn't look up uh, look this up as thoroughly. Maybe you did. But it's the fewest goals scored in a single season, including the pandemic year, when they only played 20 games. So I didn't it's, know uh,
0: it, but um, it's make, it makes sense, because what have we been complaining about all year long? the fact that they can't score that they can't score goals and that their that their margins were razor thin and defensively every mistake that they made is compounded by the fact that they're not scoring goals trust me if they're giving up as many set pieces as they gave up during the season but the team is averaging over two goals a game we're we're not bitching about this most you know as yeah. as loudly as uh, as we did but every it was every goal was magnified because of the significance of the fact that the team was having trouble scoring all year long.
1: An example to me, look, and if anyone uh, that is part of the club is watching this, they're probably going to consider this an unfair statement, but I thought an example was Santi Rodriguez not finishing that ball in front of the goal as he was crashing the back post and he didn't lay out to me. He didn't lay out. Maddie pointed it out first, and I had to agree. Maddie Lawrence, my broadcast partner, that um, he just didn't want to. He feared the back post. He feared crashing into the post rather than sacrificing and scoring the goal. And it happened a couple—not with Santi, but uh, a couple of other times. I recall that he's Andres Jason, who's you know a favorite of ours and has certainly developed this year, um, perhaps more than any other player within the within the club, but. Uh, he yeah. bailed out uh, on one that probably should have been a goal earlier in the year. Uh, I, and, and again, it's just the pictures tell the story. I mean, <laughs> you, you see it and, and you have to tell it like it is. And, you know, it's those little things. I mean, how many, how many goals would they have would have had to score along the way here, Roberto, to, to change the entire course of the season? And you got little moments like that that um, I, I think that really resonates. By me. the way,
0: one, the answer to that is one.
1: Well, what one?
0: And I'll tell you, any one of four games that they allowed themselves to be tied in stoppage time. Any one. Because two points would have given them a tie with Charlotte and New York City would have won, would have advanced on the second tiebreaker by a goal. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here,
1: and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us.
0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is
1: only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. The second tiebreaker being goal difference. That's the stuff that uh, it's going to be difficult to... uh, sleep at night if I'm, if I'm part of the technical staff or the players who just missed and um Monza Bakrar the striker who came in granted you know when guys come in in the summer in this league um very few of them just walk in and start producing i mean that's the history of summer transfers in mls is they 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 don't do that and they need a little bit more time and and i think the um the study of Bakrar has to continue after preseason and into the beginning of next year to see how it all goes. But his goal scoring rate, Roberto, three goals in uh, 10 or 11 games, is pretty much the, the rhythm of what he had coming in with his previous yeah. clubs. Meaning- A little bit
0: better. A little but- bit better because he had eight out of 38 in his last year in Croatia, right? Eight goals in 38. He scored three goals in MLS. He scored one goal against Toronto in uh, League's Cup. So he had four goals in what almost ten games, or in well, ten games?
1: No, more than that. I'm going just regular year. He had three goals in what I think okay. is eleven regular games, maybe ten. And um, I, I, what I'm saying is that he he was not the prolific guy up top that you need. And you talk to you know all these conversations go on throughout the year. Uh, not just with New York City FC, but um, I know you're adamant about this, is that, you know, you need a you need a pretty productive striker in order to win MLS Cup. I mean, it just doesn't happen otherwise. And the proof is Tati Castellanos for New York City FC. And who will it be this year? You know, and that's, um, you know, is LAFC going to win because they had the golden boot winner? Uh, that remains to be seen. Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh... It's, it's, I mean, you can't. Your leading goal us. scorer history teaches us.
1: Yeah, your leading goal scorer us. can't be are playing. You? You, your leading goal scorer can't be playing in Qatar, <laughs> and for, for you to but advance. Those very are the circumstances the that you're going to
0: have in this league. Look, there's certain things that we have to accept that are going to happen in this league. Okay, and this happens in pretty much every league in the world, with the exception of four or five, and not even every team. Okay top teams in those four or five leagues. Everybody else is selling. Those guys buy, and when they sell, it's because they don't need the guy anymore. Everybody else sells to make money, okay? That's the way it is. That's life in soccer. You're going to be a fan. It doesn't matter if you're a fan of NYC, the LA Galaxy, LAFC, America, River, Boca, Santos whatever teams in Europe Galatasaray, Ajax, PSV they're all sellers that's what soccer that's what the soccer economy dictates there are a certain amount of teams that have unlimited money you see what Chelsea spends and doesn't spend wisely Manchester City spends a ton you know, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Manchester United, uh, Bayern you, uh... Munich. Not even, not even BVB. Okay, not even Borussia Dortmund. They're a selling club, and they were a game away from winning the championship last year. Okay, so all these teams are sellers. All right, and so. This is what's going to happen. So, if the Gabby Peretas of the world are going to get an offer where they're going to pay them six times their salary, and New York City is going to be able to double or triple the money that they paid for them, and they're coming for him in June or July, you got to say goodbye.
1: I, I didn't, I didn't, I'm not suggesting that that was a, a bad move by the club because it's obviously a profitable move by the club. It was initiated by Gabby Pedetta himself, it was not initiated by the club. And but they they, they wanted obviously wanted to keep them. They obviously made some uh some good cash from it. I'm just saying his six goals at what was his last game? It was late June, I think. His the yeah. last game he scored in was June 21st. That was his sixth goal. And he, you know, so he's gone the rest of the season and he remains the leading goal scorer for New York City this year. I'm that that was my point, is that you just you can't advance without someone who's gonna put it in the back of the net.
0: Right. I mean, it wasn't like he was having some incredible season that he was close to leading the league or his top 10 or anything like that. Right. He had a moderate amount of success scoring goals. And yet still New York City couldn't find one person to be able to pick up that mantle. You know, it was more scoring by committee and it was a small committee.
1: Yeah. So really, the first question uh, that has to be posed is the future of Nick Cushing. And uh, that's got to be addressed. I'm sure there's probably as we speak, uh, there's evaluations uh, ahead or maybe the evaluation is complete and we're going to hear something soon. Um, Did have a a long chat with Nick. Well, I had a long chat with Nick uh, along with Maddie. Uh, We just happened to be on the field and he walked up in uh, probably 15 or 20 minutes just talking about a lot of different things. But I did. Uh, I, I wondered if there had been any communication about his future. I, I basically said, "What if it doesn't go well today?" And um, and he really hasn't heard anything uh, one way or the other. Uh, my thoughts. I have thoughts on two sides of this. I think that um, I like the way he goes about things. I like his relationship with the players. Uh, you can you can see them interacting. You know, we we get a chance to see at least a little bit, and we get to say, see things on the road. So I think it gives you a good idea about his relationship with players. Players that aren't playing, you know, they're they're never particularly happy. But how a coach handles that, and I think uh, just watching him interact with uh, Andres Jason earlier in the year when when Jason wasn't playing, and just things like that, it seemed um, it seemed like he knows how to handle that sort of thing. He's managed teams for a long time. You could say, well, he's only managed the women's game at Manchester City. Well, that's a that's a pretty uh, pressure packed arena to coach in. Uh, Won an FA Cup, won league titles, so I I do believe he knows how to coach a team and win. My only thing, and players got uh, a couple of players I thought got better under his guidance: Kevin O'Toole for sure, Uh, Andres Mm -hmm. Jason. The only thing that really sticks with me is I didn't think their Tyler Magno, for instance, even Santi Rodriguez. how Richie Ledesma came in and, and really did not perform to the level I think that they expected or probably he expected. So why did these guys not develop better individually to, to complete the team task? Now you can say, well, Santee had five goals, seven. I, I don't care about his stats. I'm saying I didn't see him become that much better of a player this year, if at all, maybe even dropped off a little bit. Is it because of the people around him? Uh, he didn't have Maxie there. I mean, you could, there's, there's a lot of points to this equation, but I'm, I'm just wondering why some, some of the individuals didn't get better during the course of the year. And that's my honest assessment. Is that, um, is that a coach's responsibility? Partially. Uh, is it Nick Cushing's responsibility? If, if he's not instructing them, he's assigning you know, assistants to instruct them. So I just it, it would have been nice to see more of the individuals develop during the course of the year. That's my. All
0: right. So my, my take on this is, in going off yours, I I agree with that with that part of the assessment. I'll disagree a little bit on Santi. I think Santi did play better this year than he played in years past. I just didn't think he had enough around him to be able to to show that. Right. So when you're putting you know you're putting balls in a box and you know n- nobody's putting him in, yeah. How do you how do you blame him? So uh, I thought that he played better. I didn't think that he played tremendously better, but I think he did play better this year than he did last year. I just don't think, again, that he was surrounded with enough talent to be able to make a difference. Uh, So much of this falls on the responsibility of probably not having a center forward, trying to do what they did with Tati, with uh with and it didn't work out, it doesn't always work out, you know. Just because it worked once, it doesn't mean that it's it's gonna work out every single time. Different mentalities, especially Tylus and uh and and Tati, they, they're probably quite a bit apart as far as how they approach everything. So uh and what
1: yeah, and, and I think
0: Tylus part... actually has probably more individual talent and skill than Tati does, but Tati's Tati developed himself by sheer will, okay, into a very good finisher and to being in a good position in the box. And we saw how he developed that, right? Because at the beginning, when they put him as center forward, he wasn't a great finisher. And we had long conversations over this, how he wasn't never going to be developed into a great finisher, etc. And at the end of the day, he developed into a very good finisher to the point of where he went to Girona and now he's in Lazio. And, you know, hopefully he gets a chance to really prove what he can do there. You know, he's sitting behind some pretty good people right now in Lazio. So those things can be learned, as, especially with somebody who has the work rate and the mentality that Tati Castellanos has, which not everybody in the world has. Going about, back to this team, how you have, yes.
1: Well, let me, I wanted to add one more player. I don't think I mentioned, Brian Koufre is the other guy that uh, was, it, I, I think it was perplexing that, um, I mean, he was brought in to be the guy. Uh, there was an obvious discontent, I think, with the way he defended, uh, you know, or organized himself in that manner. Um, but that's part of development, too. So that's he's another puzzle for me. I, I'm, 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 look, I'm pretty York puzzled. New York City is now... Pardon? How
0: many, years is it, how many years has it been that they've had problems defending down that side, that they've been trying to fix that? Remember last year, it was always all those runs to the end line and cut back to the penalty spot and somebody coming, trailing and coming in and scoring and, and all those issues. And then this year, you know, it was defending again. Yeah. They've had some issues over there. And especially when you don't have somebody like Alex Collins to cover up the deficiencies sure. that somebody on the left side would have.
1: Yeah. I think now on the other side, the, uh, the insertion and addition and bringing in Burke Reese, I think was, uh, you know, and I will readily admit when I just saw tape on him, I was like, "What? You know, what is the big deal here?" But he was he was very good, and his biggest thing is to uh, to work on his one v one defending uh, as time goes on. Look, I think this staff is a staff that de- I mean, I my observation is they're 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 about development in addition to winning games. I've seen many yeah, absolutely. Daniel 100%. Fradley, and all these guys, Robert Tugan, you know, and Matt Fries got better during the course of the year. He's the obvious number one unless something changes in terms of bringing in another keeper. He'll be the obvious number one going into uh, 2024. So, no, I, so for me, these guys are about development in, in, ter- in addition to the winning. But I just, no, didn't, well, see, like, I just well. didn't see the, these certain players that I mentioned. I, I don't know why they didn't get better and, or, or yeah, why yeah, they dropped get- off. Or why they drop well, off. From
0: I would think that a lot of them, you know, goes to them, you know, goes to the players individually of why yeah. they didn't go back, get better. But Glenn, this is a really important part about this team. It, I'm not going to say it's the most important, but it's top three because they're probably the most money that they're going to make is going to be on developing and selling players for a profit. And so when you're developing academy players, right, coming up, the the Joe Scallies of the world, uh, and then you wind up selling them to Europe or bringing in players from Latin America or from Europe or from wherever, of Asia if it happens, right, uh, and you're going to bring them in and you're going to develop and sell them to Europe like they did with Tati Castellanos, then this is where you're going to make a boatload of money. Right, And this is a business. At the end of the day, it's a business. The biggest profit center that this team is going to have is going to be existing, just by the fact that they exist and valuations of MLS teams go through the roof, right? What was paid and what the team is worth now. That's going to be always, that doesn't bring in the money now, but if they ever decide to sell the team, let's say, they're going to make a boatload of cash. So, it's a profit center. Selling players is a profit center. But let's get back to the main point on on Nick. Okay? And th- to me, Nick Cushing didn't stop being a good coach after he got the team to the Eastern Conference Finals last year. Let's remember that it was in mid, what was it, mid-July, early July, that uh, Ronnie Dyla and Ephraim Juarez left. And they said, here's the team. And he took that team, who then lost Tati Castellanos, the leading scorer in the league, Okay, and he took them to the Eastern Conference Finals. And he had them ahead 1-0 in that game in the second half. And then the team made a mistake by the guy who you would never expect to make a mistake. And it was Alexander Callins, who turned off for a second on on a free kick and he got burnt, and that was a tying goal, and that that just changed the entire game. Okay? And if that that doesn't happen, maybe they're in the final. Who knows what the hell happens in the final? Okay? You can never know. Okay? So he didn't stop being a good coach. What changed with the team was that they decided to redo. And so many of the veterans left. Collins left. Sean Johnson left. Maxi Morales left. Um... Who do I, who else do you want to? Who else am I missing? Anton Tinnerholm left.
1: Yeah, Tinnerholm's the big one too. But yeah, but they I were mean, all... all
0: these guys left, and so there was a void of leadership. Although you have tight, you have um, Thiago Thiago Martins Ma- and Maxime Chano stepping in into that void, right? But and then Maxi Morales coming out back later late in the season. They did bring in you know some young players who had talent. By bringing in Richie Ledesma, by bringing back Santi Rodriguez, I thought those were key. But remember, they're going into the season, or even weeks before the season, everybody is like, you know, where are the players? Who's coming in, right? And so they did do that, and. And then in midseason, they brought in six new faces. Sadly for New York City, Maxie got hurt. And I don't know what changes if he was able to stay healthy. Right? Not and that doesn't mean that there weren't situations during games or preparations of games that you could say, Jesus, I wish the team had played better. The result at DC is is uh it's terrible losing in Houston. Although at the end of the day, now you look at Houston and they're, they're in fourth place in uh, in the West, and they turned out to be a pretty good team. You know, there's a lot of points that they left all along the way that you could say, "Gee, if they had just done this or done that or done this," and there were moments. But well, in, in my course. assessment, in my assessment, I think Nick Cushing is a good coach. I think that the most important thing he's got he's got the locker he's got the locker room's attention and respect and i think he just needs better material to be able to uh for this team to to take it again to the next level i mean i think that he's not the problem i think the team has to stay and as we saw with this new salary release new york city is you know a mid-table team as far as money spending now i'm not saying that Spending money resolves everything. We have Toronto as an absolute prime example that you don't throw money at a problem and expect it to be solved. We get that, you know, and for the most part, New York City has spent money very, very wisely among the wisest around. And that's great. And they need to continue to do that, but maybe elevate a little bit more in how much they're spending to be able to address some of the problems that the team has.
1: Well, the most money... uh is dictated towards Tyler Magno and Tiago Martins. It's pretty rare that a center back in MLS makes over 2 million and uh, is a, is a designated player. I think Tiago Martins is a very good central defender, but you wonder about that. Uh, you wonder about Magno, if he can recover uh, and, and, and show some of the things that made him special uh, in his, when he, he scores a game winning goal in the Eastern conference final at Philadelphia. I mean, you know, those are, those are moments where you can look back and go, like, "Yeah, this guy can, this guy can get it done in the big moments." So, well, I'm with you 100. Um, percent There's going to be people watching this who have the hashtag Cushing out, you know, all over the place on their social accounts, but um, I'm not in agreement with that. And, no, neither uh, am I. And you know, what's interesting is Nick. Uh, I don't know if you were aware of this. I don't know if we've ever talked about it, but later found out that he he knew that he was getting the permanent position before the Montreal playoff game last year. So I just wonder if there's been anything similar to that, even though it's not a similar situation. You're not getting into the playoffs. But um, if there have been some discussions just to, you know, alleviate some of those uh, concerns with him. But
0: I mean, I, I really think that New York City has a great front office as far as these things are concerned. And they're going to, they're going to address all of this. And hopefully they're giving all the necessary tools and finances to be able to, to be able to compete at a high level and try to go and win championships,
1: right? Well, when we, and yeah. I,
0: I hope that that's that is the situation because oh. they, if they if they're given if if they're given everything that they need, I think that they'll be able to do that because they've proven that they've done it. And I think you know, based on the conversations we've had, you know, there's no reason to think that they can't do this again.
1: Well, when um, when we're next on next week, uh, maybe we'll have more information on. Uh, options declined and that sort of thing there's some dates coming up which we'll talk about more um, in, in the next episode one thing I did find out and it was just the this guy Mike who works at city field he comes in and helps me set up for the um, the Apple broadcast for the English hometown commentary and yeah, and it, uh, and then we were talking about uh, I, I uh, he goes well this is the last game here this year and I thought well, you know, I mean, if they get to the playoffs and win the uh, wild card game, then there's that best two of three. And he goes, oh, no, no, that would be played at Yankee Stadium. And, uh, and the reason why is. And said, you
0: got so excited. I know you got cr- excited by this. And this you're going to go and try to do this. I know it. Stadium
1: links at City Field. Check this out, man. So they set up uh, the golf. And this is why a playoff game wasn't going to be able to be held at Citi Field. It had to be a Yankee stadium. Check this out. They set up all these little tee box areas all around the stadium. And then they set up the, uh, the greens with the, with the pins. And uh, I, from what I could read, it cost a hundred bucks and you only get like 20 shots. So you better be on that day. That's it. And uh, But, but you, there's prizes and things. So I, I don't know the whole thing. I'm not going to be able to play. It's sold out. I can't get in. I, it doesn't look like I'm going to be able to talk my way into it but I'll just I have to look Steve at it earlier. Steve Cohen
0: is a billionaire.
1: 100 <laughs> bucks for 20 shots? I, I that's How what long? I've heard. I don't know that for a fact, that's what I
0: heard. Oh. I was like, uh, "You know what? Go to Top Golf in Edison and uh whack some balls over there." Yeah. I actually like that place. I need to go yep. do the that uh, the go kart that they built right next to it. That is that looks sick. <laughs> Speaking of sick, that uh, really does. Stadium. I'm like, oh, I've got to go and do that.
1: Well, apparently they do this uh, stadium links in in other venues around the baseball stadiums. They've around, done it at uh, City
0: Field I, before. This is well, I the just first I,
1: year. I just you know I missed it. You know, this is the first time How I've did seen you it. You not so. know this? Look at man, You're I the I don't
0: golf enthusiast. You take yeah. your clubs to play around before we take off to go on the road. The first phone call you make in every city we land is like, oh, can I go play golf in the morning? Where can I go play golf? And you're like, poor you Uber driver that you're nagging. Where can I go play golf over here? And you don't know about, about the city links.
1: All right. Man. I don't. But I do know that the University of Georgia is asking me for money because the dogs are playing the Florida Gators this weekend. I just got this text: uh, "Make a gift today and help us win." Well, listen, man, but That's you, know all it took. The, you know about you know about I don't. Do you know about this Georgia Florida football game every year? They call it the largest outdoor cocktail party because what they do is they go to Jacksonville. They play at a neutral site in Jacksonville, Florida, and they basically shut down the town. I think the people that live there don't like it very much. Uh, but it's, uh, I, I went twice as a student and it's, uh, it's about as nutty as it gets. I'll just leave it at that. But, uh, the largest, I wonder, well, they're going to have to,
0: they're going to be really, they're going to be rebuilding that stadium in Jacksonville and it's going to take them over a year. So, uh, mm. Han, the owner is going to put, I don't know how many millions and the city is going to put in, I don't know how many millions and they're going to go and, uh, rebuild the stadium which reminds me so we have uh new information thanks to chris campbell and uh the outfield about uh, new york city fc's stadium that we hope gets built at Willits Point and inaugurated in twenty twenty seven um yeah, we got nice. some new information about uh about this glen during uh during the week and this, uh, it looks disabled- you
1: know, ULURP, the fabled ULURP,
0: right? Yeah, Uh, and that's what it is, and uh, ULURP, let me see, which is the Uniform Land Use Review Procedure,
1: okay, (laughs) Okay.
0: so that's what that is, so they're going to make a presentation, and uh, with that, and then it's supposed to advance out of there, so uh, as far as the timeline is concerned, now it's not, nothing's guaranteed, right? But uh let me see what he had as a timeline. So um they had the timeline that all of this was going to get done by the beginning of 2024, and if it all gets approved, then in March of 2024 they start digging and they're doing the deep foundation and the excavation. By September of 2024, they start on the foundations, and then the superstructure starts being built in 2025 in January. And then in June of 2025, as my cats decide to fight here in front of me, thank you. This thing's
1: uh, going to get completed by I'm literally having
0: a cat fight here. I don't know, something just knock down. This thing is going
1: to get built by 26 in your timeline. I'm listening, you know, but go ahead.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. I literally had a cat fight. My cats always decide to sleep right behind my computer while I'm doing this. And They just decided to argue on who gets the right side and who gets the cold pillow. So anyway, they've left. Anyway, coming back to this. So in uh, in June of 2025, they continue the superstructure and uh, the building envelope and the architectural finishes. And December of 2025 to December of 2026, the architectural finishes. Stadium would open in 2027. And then they would finish like all, you know, a couple of minor things here and there uh in by August of 2027. So that's wow. the way it is. It's not going to be like the Miami stadium, uh Drive Pink stadium which they basically put together like an erector set and they built it in under 9 months. This is yeah, a that's, different that's that, ball
1: game. That doesn't that doesn't that doesn't even weigh in because they're looking for Freedom Park which there's no shovels dug it there yet or in the ground or whatever they say. Dan Cortemon as you know uh uh, was who's the chief communications officer for MLS? He's been there from the first kick at MLS, and uh, by the way, he's a University of Georgia graduate. We have this big yes, commonality. We We're both Bulldogs. But anyway, he was. Uh, I, I said, "You guys happy that uh, there's a soccer stadium now for New York City?" And he smiled and he just said, "This alert thing was was very big because uh, you're now yeah. going to see the the shovels in the ground that everybody talks about. So that's going to happen." And well, we ho- that's we a good hope outline. So.
0: I mean, there's a lot. There's hurdles still to go through, right? Uh, it, this isn't uh, you know, a done deal or a slam dunk, although everybody feels very confident it's going to happen. Look, there are politics that are involved with all of this. And so the two major things, one of them wasn't really major, but it became a major point when the Greensboro president, Donovan Richards, had a beef with uh, Mayor Adams. About the fact that um, the police had kicked out street vendors from Corona Plaza. And so Donovan Richards had basically said, Look, I support the stadium, but I am not going to give it my approval until Major Adams uh, takes, you know, allows for the street vendors to come back. And so now that seems to be resolved. But then there's a second thing that we have to be aware of, and that is that. there's somebody, I got to remember the name here, um, wants a police station built into, uh, in- into the area at Willits Point, that they want a new police precinct there. And um, that is one of the things that is going to be uh, really key if they get that approval or not for the new police precinct, because that is a sticking point right now in all of this. So if they get the well, police policing, then that is going to well, alleviate a lot of the uh, the issues that are going to that are not holding it up, mind you. There's nothing holding it up right now, but might be a potential holdup.
1: Well, that's a good outline of things, uh, Roberto. Very good. And uh, we did uh, communicate with Chris Campbell prior to uh, the recording of this episode. So Chris is going to hop on with us next week to uh, there's been no one. He's basically, I would say, the hero of the New York City supporters. He is, He's the rock star because he's been the one that's, uh, from start to finish, really, from the initial meetings uh, to, to discuss this, from whether it was going to be in the Bronx or East River, you know, wherever it was going to be, you know, Chris has been on top of it. So he's going to join us next week, Roberto, so that'll be fun.
0: Yeah, there's one thing that's very important, and we'll get to this before it happens, which is December 11th. So there, there's going to be a whole, there's probably going to be meetings and things before December 11th, but on December 11th is where the uh, Housing and Land Use Committee meeting, and they're going to cast their vote this, uh, in the general board meeting on December 11th. And so what New York City is asking, and this makes a lot of sense, hey. All of you who are New York City FC fans and people who may not but still want to see this project go through because of all the other things that are going to be part of it, which is going to be uh, 2,500 units of housing, there's going to be a school, there's going to be a library, there's going to be a hotel, you know, and the fact that they're going to make this freaking eyesore of an area into something that is going to be a must-see in New York City you know, that you go and support this. So if you come out and show your support, and for New York City fans, look, this is a playoff game. And this might be the biggest playoff game uh, right now for New York City. Maybe they didn't make the playoffs, but this is your playoff game. And you've got to go and uh, support this effort and and show that you want it because that's really going to help people make up their minds on which way they vote. If they see that nobody's coming to support this, Right. And they listen yeah. to the naysayers that soccer is never going to make it. And, that uh, you know, all these people who are anti-soccer would still exist. Right. Or yeah. for their own reasons, want something else. You know, if they don't see massive support, then, uh, you know, it may not sway their vote. So I would think that it's very, very important for New York City fans to show and to show up in a very positive manner. You've got to show up in a positive manner and show well, we'll, this is going to be something that is uplifting for the community, something that is good for the community and that the community needs to welcome into that area.
1: All right. Well, we'll uh, reiterate that next week with Chris, I'm sure, when uh, when he comes on to, to join us here on NYCFC Views. All right. Time to kick it around, Roberto. <laughs> At this now we're this is um this is a wonderful book and uh look and there's pele soccer's where roberto and either way yesterday. go go
0: go to this store it's very cool it's in time it Square. Is a
1: cool it's a very cool store yeah and, and I, then you I can love go fact,
0: see like the naked cowboy like i did
1: i i love the fact that you there. go to the back of the room and you could sit and, and they always have a game on yesterday they had spurs on and they got yeah, a victory yeah. i think yeah they got the yes game they game. Did. Oh, did
0: nothing over fulham
1: so George Tiedemann is the photographer. So all the pictures, and it's really a pictorial. But then that Charles Caton, who was the uh, communications director for the Cosmos way back when, uh, he um, he has provided the words surrounding the pictures, and uh, yeah, no better really person to do this. that than Charles. Yeah. So God, cute. I'm bad at this. All right, there we go. Really cool. And then
0: yeah, it's that. a really cool book.
1: Yeah. So it's twenty nine ninety five. Buy it. Uh, it's we worth did. it, especially if you're from that We did not era. get these as freebies. No, we didn't. Actually, uh, we were offered freebies, and we both, uh, you know, you got to support your friends, man. You
0: yeah, got to buy absolutely. their books.
1: If somebody got a book, you got to buy their books. But uh, It's and really cool. One former Cosmo was there, uh, Werner Roth, which was pretty cool. I, I met him for the first time. Roberto, you've previously known him because you covered the oh, team yeah. back then. And uh, so he was in town. I don't know if I told you this, Roberto. Well, uh, there's George, and then Charles Catone. And Charles has been involved in the soccer end of things for a long time. And George, keep this. Uh, is this is this rolling? Can we keep that? Can we go back to that other photo? There. Can you freeze on that second photo, please? Not this one. The next one, if it will freeze. I don't know if it, if you can freeze it on there. So George told a story about this, and I I, I thought it was really fascinating, Roberto, when he said a majority of the photos in this book have never been seen before. He had like this entire arsenal of stuff that was still just put away, including this shot. And what he told me is that, and he said it to us when he was speaking to the crowd, that this was very spiritual to him because he was looking up to the skies. The only other shots, and and I, I have to just believe him, there's other shots that are very similar to this that he took. This is Pele's last game, and he's being carried around the field. Uh, is he's looking forward or he's looking down at his teammates, but not up to the sky. So he's never released this photo of Pele and his last game uh, at the, at Giants stadium and for the Cosmos and as a professional soccer player. So uh, it it really is wonderful. And for us too, you know, just because we went to so many of the games, you and I, um, you covered it while I was still a college kid going to the games. And then I came in and joined in the, uh, in the locker room to check out who, which superstar was going to be there. Was it going to be Mick Jagger or Robert Plant or, you know, who?
0: (laughs) It was amazing. It was really, it was an amazing time to cover the team too. So I was very, very fortunate that between 1977, which was the year that they moved to giant stadium up until their last season where they folded, I covered the team and traveled with the team and, uh, it was just such an amazing, amazing experience to be around that team, those players. They were rock stars. I mean, they were absolute rock stars. And for a lot of you, you know, who weren't around at that time, when I say that they were rock stars, the Cosmos got the type of coverage that the Yankees, the Giants, and the Jets get, okay, yeah, and the yeah. Mets. I mean, it was that level. Uh, it was, there were back pages. Uh, they had reporters travel- not only covering games which we don't see with New York City sadly, except on a rare occasion, they had reporters that traveled with the team and covered the team for all away games as well amazing uh yeah. and boy, did we have fun on the road it was uh it was really a great time it no, was an well, absolute- and, then,
1: and I'm sure you're uh, you especially and those that followed it that closely or followed the team and traveled with the team. Immediately when Messi was signed uh, uh, by Miami, uh, just you start with the parallels, and it could it could actually maybe we skip Beckham, so it could be Pele, it could be Beckham, and then it it could be Messi. I don't know if uh, you know if you're an MLS guy, that might be the way you go with this. But uh, those are those uh, are like, uh, the and sem- I'll tell
0: you no. I'll tell you, but no. those are the seminal.
1: I'm going to say those are the seminal moments, um, I, I in in yeah. soccer in our country. Because Beckham I'll, I'll was treated agree. like a Beckham was treat, treated like a celebrity here in the United States of America.
0: Well, there's a difference. Okay. So be- Beckham, as great as he is, or great as he was, and I'm never going to say anything bad about him because there is nothing bad to be said. He's just not at the level of Pele and Messi. Okay. We're talking about the two greatest players of all time.
1: I'm not talking about uh, I'm not talking you, about at their you, level. Beckham Roberto, is not one of the greatest No, it's I'm not, he's he's not that's in that not conversation. I'm yeah, not but talking. I, but like, I am. Let
0: me let me just say let me let me interrupt.
1: That we're having a conversation. I just before you continue, I want you to know it's not about the level of player. It's the impact on the game in the United States of America. Go.
0: And it will. And yes, he had a great impact, and it's a turning point for soccer here. He even with That's his great celebrity about. that extends beyond the soccer field. It's not the same impact as Pelé and Messi. It's just not, okay? Because, yes, you went to see him. I'm saying it's
1: in stages. I'm not saying it's the same or anything. I'm saying – I'm looking at the the chronology of it, Roberto. So Pelé, absolutely, you know, and then there's that long stretch. And, and, you know, you might – maybe the World Cup should be in there. 94 World Cup should be in there before uh, an individual uh, like Beckham. You know, I don't know. But um, Beckham falls in there because of the – it's a transformational moment for the game.
0: I'm not saying no. What I'm just trying to say is that you can't, that although it's a tremendous impact for the league and it's a, and it, it made the league take off in so many different ways, um, Pelé and Messi, just different impacts and different quality players as far as that's concerned and what their impact eventually is going to be, because we're going to get Messi here for another two years. Uh, Pelé came in in 75 but his last year was 77. Uh, and then, but then after Pele came, right, the Cosmos brought in Kinalia, you know, and they had brought him in before uh, 77. But then Beckenbauer, uh, Niskins, Carlos Alberto, and, and you can start rolling off all these fantastic names. When, when Beckenbauer came to the Cosmos, he had just been named Footballer of the Year. In Europe. So he came in his prime. He didn't come, you know, at the end of his career. Okay. He came in his prime. And he was, I mean, the, the team that the Cosmos put together, they were the first Galacticos before Real Madrid tried to co op that name. It was really the Cosmos. And they traveled in preseason. And wherever they went, be it Asia or be it Latin America, be it Europe, wherever they went, they sold out. And it yeah. was insanity because it wasn't just one great player that they had. They had a whole bunch of great players at the same time. It was an yeah, amazing, yeah. amazing moment to be covering that was the other, in this country or being a fan.
1: That was the other parallel, I thought, when I heard that uh, Miami's going to uh, Asia to uh, play some exhibition games. It's the same sort of thing, I, I would think. And they're going um, to get a
0: ton of money for it.
1: Yeah, a lot of money for it and yeah. i uh, uh, the Be- just about beckham um i i finished the beckham documentary uh, and if you haven't you haven't gotten through it yet Roberto, you need to it really is it's it's quite a story and it, and there's it's a bit soapy because it's about their relationship him him and victoria uh-huh. but you know it that's that's to like i've heard a couple of people say yeah my wife really enjoyed it you know not so much for the soccer but just to track their relationship so there's some of that too but I'm a Dan- huge
0: Beckham fan. We said it on the last podcast yeah. when we talked about I, when, it. I'm a huge Beckham fan. Don't get me okay. wrong.
1: I'm not. I'm not saying you aren't. Uh, when did I say that, uh, Beckham? But here's a story that Dan Carcamos yesterday said I did. He said he didn't even know. And here's a guy that has been with the league and was uh, you know intimately involved in Beckham becoming a DP. He was part of that process and, and the, the 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 start of the designated player, uh, but. The story of him being loaned after he signed with the Galaxy, being loaned to AC Milan and then playing for Milan, but then publicly saying, Man, I really would like to stay. <laughs> and Tim Lewicki, who was the uh, the chief of the Galaxy at that time, his exact words, I'm not going to use it all, but no effing way. And he, came back. And he had, I didn't realize this, he had a real adversarial relationship with Landon Donovan when he came back at first. And it was, um, it was because that he didn't, you know, he didn't put, he he wasn't all in for the galaxy. He wanted to stay, even after signing the contract, he wanted to stay at at Milan. So uh, Danny admitted to me. Landon
0: wrote it in the book. That was like the main feature of Landon Donovan's book.
1: Okay, I'm saying but Dan didn't uh, recognize that it was as, uh, you know, as um, contentious, I guess, not between him and Donovan necessarily, but between Milan, the club and trying to get him back and uh, that sort of thing. So that 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 comes out. But that's the stuff you learn in documentaries. You hope you hope you learn. Things, even if you're directly involved you hope you'll learn a few things so
0: what did, okay so I'm gonna go see it but did Beckham what did Beckham say addressing that moment if it was in the documentary
1: he uh, I think he basically after the the Lew- they have the shot of Lewicki say no F and way and then they come right back to Beckham and he said okay <laughs> so that it was kind of like that that was his reaction okay I'm coming yeah, back okay. yeah he didn't re- he didn't go like ah oh, come on man. But, well, that's yeah. good. It showed that they loved him. <laughs> well, he won over his teammates eventually, and it's really a it's it's kind of a nice story how he and Donovan eventually came together and then won the MLS Cup. So that worked out pretty yeah. well.
0: Yeah. It, it did. Absolutely yeah. did. Um, what else do we have? Anything else?
1: I don't really have anything else. I think uh, I hope we can sell at least one or two copies for Charles and George. So yes. there's the book. There's the book. It's uh, uh, Pele in uh, his North American years: a tribute, and and it's very cool. It's one one you want to have and, in and your, you know, if you're a soccer person.
0: I got to met I I got to meet Pele personally, uh, partly during the time that I was with, you know, covering the team in 1977, and then while I was editor in chief of a magazine called Football Mundial back around uh, 15 years ago. And uh, we had an event at NASDAQ. And I think I told you the story yesterday, but I'll tell it to everybody. Uh, we had this event at NASDAQ. And he was the featured, uh, uh, featured person at the event. And uh, we brought in uh, like two dozen kids, right, to serve as ball boys and, you know, for the whole thing. And uh, when Pelé got there, uh, you know, we set up something for him to sign autographs for the kids. And he was so excited. And instead of just like going, you know, taking, you know, a magazine or whatever and signing his name and saying thank you and whatever. No, he got, he had every kid sit down individually, right? One by one, sit down and spoke to them. Hi, what's your name? Where are you going to school? What are you doing? What do you want to do? Do you play soccer? And it was with everybody. Every single kid, he took a personal interest in. It was amazing to see. It was great. I mean, this is the greatest soccer player in history, one of the greatest athletes ever. And he was so humble and so taken aback by kids that he would want just to find out genuinely. Find out about them. He well, cared I, about that. It was so nice to see. Well, how about
1: the story that Werner Roth told yesterday at the the filming of the of the movie Victory? You know, a, a, a lot of people have seen that. If you haven't, you should. Uh, Werner Roth's in it. Pele's in it. Sylvester Stallone is the goalkeeper. But uh, he during the filming, the there the just a, a boatload of kids were just like clamoring around that outside of the fence. And at lunchtime, I think this is the way Werner told it. Uh, he they, they opened the gates and let them in, and they all sat around, and he, and he, he had some sort of a dessert. It was a sponsor. I, I, I can't remember what it was, but he had some sort of a, I, I can't remember what it was, but it was a, some sort of a dessert, and he gave every kid one of these things, and the same kind of thing you just mentioned, Roberto just was talking to them. And so it, those, are, those are nice memories of Pele. I would like to just uh, um, say uh, or promote uh, two interviews I have coming up. One of them. I have to hop off soon because it's. I'm recording it in about 15 minutes. But Stern John. I don't know if you remember that name in oh, MLS. Yeah. Okay. Of course, so,
0: Columbus Crew.
1: Yeah, he, he came in and was the. He uh, won the Golden Boot. Uh, yeah. He had he had 44 goals in 55 games for Columbus. I mean, that's you know.
0: That's pretty good.
1: He had I, 70 goals. He's the all-time leading scorer for Trinidad. He has 70 goals in 114 matches for Trinidad. Anyway, he's going to be my guest because currently he's the manager, the head coach of the St. Lucia national team, and he's done some remarkable things there. So we're going to talk to him. And then Fred Briand. Later today I'm going to record an interview with Fred because he has his coaching badge. He's been an assistant at DC United. It'll be interesting to see what's going on right now. Rooney left. He took over, what, for that exhibition game? He was the manager for one game. They won two yeah. to one. So he's 1-0 right. as a manager. And, uh, but he also has his B license, and he's looking to get more advanced license. So might show, The Coaching Academy, we talk about coaching. But uh, it'll be uh, interesting to see. I'll, I'll have to throw Bruce Arena's name at him and see what he thinks. But uh, since that report came out that by The Athletic that Bruce has contacted DC United about coming back. So that would That'd be, be cool. Great if he, if he yeah. That would be great if he does.
0: That would be great. It really would be. I'd love to see him.
1: Yeah, me too. All right, Roberto, good stuff, man. Uh, Thanks to everyone, Sammy, for producing. For Roberto Abramowitz, I'm Glenn Crooks on NYCFC Views. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time.
0: Follow the sick podcast, NYCFC Views, on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts.